Welcome, everyone, to a special presentation brought to you by WeVets. January is National Human Trafficking Prevention Month, and this year's theme, Partner to Prevent, could not be more relevant. Joining me in exploring this theme is Brad White, Associate Director of Safety at Werner Enterprises and also a member of the Department of Transportation Advisory Committee on Human Trafficking. Thanks, Adam. Appreciate the opportunity to be here today. Katie Samandel, Operations Manager in our dedicated division and Steering Committee member for our Women's Leadership Alliance. Thank you. Proud to be a part of this. And Rachel Zakovich, Intermodal Network Manager in our Logistics Division and Steering Committee member for our Women's Leadership Alliance. Thank you so much for letting me be a part of this. So in this episode, we're honored to have two distinguished guests. First, we have Paul Yates, the Executive Director of I've Got a Name, a remarkable organization making strides in the fight against human trafficking, specifically here in Nebraska. Alongside Paul, we're also joined by Liz Williamson from Truckers Against Trafficking, an organization at the forefront of mobilizing the trucking industry against this heinous crime. Paul, let's jump in uh, with your story, uh, with I've Got a Name story. You want to give us the high-level overview of you and your involvement in this organization? Sure, happy to, and truly appreciate this opportunity to join you today for this very important topic uh, for all of us to learn more about and become more involved. My life changed honestly back in 2008 when I left my comfy job as a president of a marketing firm in Lincoln and uh, felt called to do more than just what I was doing. And long story short, I became involved with an organization over in the country of Nepal. And uh, at the time that organization had primarily children's homes, but they also were uh, combating human trafficking basically on the border of Nepal and India. Uh, young girls and women being lied to and sold into the brothels of India. Uh, Just a horrible, horrible life. It's hard to imagine this goes on in our world. Um, And so I I got involved with that organization and really that's when the uptick of this thing we call human trafficking became more aware around the world, I think. You know, back then the 27 million people in slavery um, around the world and honestly, I thought slavery was over, you know, but it's the worst it's been. I think today it's like estimated 37 million, something like that. But so my role over there, uh, I lived in Nebraska, but it was to raise awareness and support for their work over there, intercepting these young women and girls. And I actually experienced a couple of situations when I visited over there. Um, hard to imagine, you know, little children and girls being lied to in the way they were and then what their life would end up being. Um, along that journey, uh, it's just kind of crazy, I, I uh, met a gentleman by the name of Bob Burton. At the time, he was the senior uh, athletic director at the University of Nebraska underneath the athletic director. He'd been there 24 years. And um, he heard about this issue through an article in the newspaper in Lincoln because the first human trafficking conferences was happening at the University of Nebraska. And he came to that event that night. and. Um, he was just blown away by the issue of human trafficking, especially sex trafficking. And he really felt empowered to do something about it. Actually, his church community was doing this decade on purpose kind of thing. And, and uh, you know, look back 10 years, what impact have you had, you know, other than just your, your family and your, your work? And, and when he found out about our organization from a newspaper article, he contacted me, couldn't believe in Lincoln there was an organization fighting this overseas. So we became good friends. And uh, I'll just say it right now, the name of organizations, I've got a name, and it's because he got in the car that night after hearing this speaker, international speaker at this conference, um, 
and it was a Jim Croce song, songwriter from the 70s, and it's called I've Got a Name. It has nothing to do with this issue, but he just felt his heart really broken, and he said, you know, every one of these women and girls has a God-given name. They should be treated with love, respect, and dignity. They all have their own name. And um, he reached out to me, and long story short, we had a, a big event at his uh, church community. We had another event. And he started supporting us, raising funds um, through his own action at the University of Nebraska, not, not corresponding with the University of Nebraska, but just there was a baseball coach and a bunch of uh, people there supporting him. And that money was funneled over to Nepal to protect these young women and girls. And uh, as time went on, um, he started looking at Lincoln, Nebraska. And, uh, it's just crazy. Uh, I've, I've lived in Lincoln pretty much my whole life um, and now live in the Omaha area, but um, to hear what was going on in Lincoln, I mean, this state is the good life, right? I mean, this just only happens overseas, right? It doesn't happen here. There's some really alarming studies that you guys reference on your website uh, from 2015 and 2017, so it's, it's data that's not that old, but it's the problem is alive in this state in our backyards uh, I think way more so than most people realize. Exactly, and and that's our biggest challenge. But I always say this started as a song, became an event, and then became a nonprofit. And so now um, I've got a name's all about fighting this injustice in Nebraska, you know, through Bob Burton's heart and passion to want to do something about it. Is there any connection still to Southeast Asia? Is there anything that's the organization's doing there, or is it? fully shifted to Lincoln? It's solely here, okay. in Lincoln and Nebraska. I mean, I'll talk a little bit about it in a bit, but our street outreach is primarily Lincoln because of our resources, but also Nebraska is it, I mean, as far as um, speaking and creating awareness. And yet, this has no boundaries, you know? When you drive outside of Nebraska, it doesn't, you know, you may have a sign there saying you've entered Kansas, but it's over there too. So we, we go around in this area and speak too. So let's talk street outreach. Let's talk through how I've got a name makes an impact uh, on this issue. What what's the what's the mission? What do you do? What's the one, two, and three of the organization? Sure, um, our mission is to end sex trafficking where we live. Again, it's here, um, and our three pillars: one is awareness, being aware of what it is and what it's not. Um, we deal with a lot of myths and stereotypes. Um, I've been fighting this since 2008, and I still don't understand it. Still in a big learning curve, but awareness is critical. It is here. It's everywhere. The second pillar is a take to take action, and that's our street outreach. And that's where we um, meet individually with women and girls, where they're at in their lives, um, whether rescuing them and helping them restore their lives or protecting them and preventing them from this injustice. And our street outreach team is two people, and Megan's our outreach director, and she uses her past life experience you know, in this life um, for 10 years. She's been out for 16, an amazing woman. And it's just building that relationship with these women and girls. Um, you know, I should mention too, Adam, it, this does impact boys and males too. Our main mission is women and girls. If we come across a male and we have had a few situations where that's uh, happened, then I get involved um, as a male, you know, with that situation. And then our third pillar is um, inspiration, get involved, you know, do something, you know which does have its challenges because of the sensitivity of this issue. You know, uh, volunteering is very difficult because we're dealing with people in extreme situations. Um, 
Yeah, street outreach is our, our main foundation of what we do. Paul, tell us a success story. What is what is success in the street outreach program? Tell us something that has happened, if you can, uh, in in our state. Yeah, the, the question is, how do you measure success? You know, and, and the the critical part of what we do is changing lives. And so you have a woman or a girl that are going one direction, and you're trying to change them 180 degrees the other way. And the thing that I'm still learning today is just how significant their trauma is. And it doesn't just happen overnight. It's a process. Um, I can share the one story that's just amazing. And it was a, a young woman, we'll call her Taylor. Um, she was online and uh, uh, met a gentleman and started a relationship with him and, and really felt it was like the relationship she was looking for, you know. And uh, um, as time went on, she started seeing changes in him and started seeing how he was really using her instead of loving her. And their relationship became a sexual relationship and then sex with other people. Now you're gonna say right there, well, why didn't she stop? Why did she allow that to happen? It's because of the grooming process, what he had done to her and how he manipulated her. And so she gets into this journey and it goes on and on and on. Um, and now he's taking her across straight state lines and he's you know just setting her up on dates um, again, you ask, well, why did she allow that to happen? You know, physical abuse started coming in there. Threats started coming in there. Um, just a total destruction of her mind um, and self-esteem and self-worth um, until eventually she decided one day as they were driving down the highway just to end her life. She jumped out of the car, um, you know, flying down the highway. And um, obviously she didn't die. Um, she was found along the roadside. And um, you can imagine, can you imagine standing there on that roadside and being picked up and wanting to go home and the, all the thoughts going through your mind? What, what's home? Because she was alienated from her home. She was cut off from her family and everyone. Um, and what would they think of her? You know, and, and the guilt and the shame and all these things. But she goes home and of course is accepted with open arms and uh, now needs to start this process of healing again. Trauma is such a, a word, but it's what she's experiencing is so much more than that, you know, and the fear and the shame and the guilt. And, and as a man, I can't even begin to think about what that really is. I'm a man, you know, um, but she starts this journey in this process of healing. Um, and Megan, our outreach director, comes in contact with her and just starts her on that journey. And, and that whole part of our outreach is meeting them where they're at, not judgmental. You know, not trying to get them to believe what you believe or what you think they should do, but empowering them. And, and this relationship starts off with just showing them that love, you know, um, showing them how you feel about them. You know, I've, I heard a quote the other day that's, it's not what you say or what you do, it's how you make me feel. And that's what's so important about our outreach, you know. And so Megan starts working her along this journey. I'm just going to fast forward. But about a year and a half ago, she got a text from her and the text said to Megan, hey, beautiful soul, do you have time, you know, for coffee or lunch sometime? Now, beautiful soul, that just shows you their relationship that they have, okay? Um, and I should mention too, this, this young lady came from a very good family, very good background, okay? Again, one of the myths and stereotypes we deal with, thinking it's just people in poverty or certain ethnic group or no, 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 this is anyone and everybody. And so they, they continue on with this relationship 
and Megan helps her get a great job. Um, and now she's got a fantastic job and just helping her rebuild her life. And it wasn't too long ago that she reached out to Megan again and said, Hey, you know, I'm, I'm back in a relationship. I, I need some advice. I need some help. And so Megan's still involved in her life, helping her, you know, and helping her see who she really is and the beauty that she has within her. Um, it's just, it, it's a love story and it's beautiful. And a lot of people ask, well, when do our services end? <laughs> they, they really don't. This relationship will never end. You know, it just goes on and on. So, you know, what is success? That's a great success, but we have other situations too, where it's these baby steps of success. And then, you know, they're on a roller coaster, you know, they, they go up and they go down just like we all do in life. Right. We all experience this, but with their trauma, it's so different and so difficult. And, um, it takes a lot of patience and especially unconditional love. And that's what we're all about. Unconditional love. Can you tell me what resources and support I've got a name provides to survivors of sex trafficking to help them rebuild their lives? Yeah, that's a great question. You know, as I mentioned, we meet them where they're at. What are their needs? You know, we came across a young woman from another state who was actually going to testify against a gentleman in jail uh, in Lancaster County. And she had no birth certificate, no driver's license, no social security card. She pretty much can't do anything. You know, so we start that process with her and find her shelter, you know, which is very difficult and just start building that relationship with her. I should mention too, we have no office. Okay. Our office is where we're, wherever we're at, coffee shops, wherever they want to meet. Okay. We meet them. And so you just start building that relationship and see what their needs are. Maybe it's a single mom that, that is selling herself to support her child. You know, how does she get a job? What does she go through? Again, that whole unconditional love process. And then we utilize services that are available in the community. You know, I, I know the Omaha Metro has incredible services and so does Lincoln and most cities do. Just question is how do you access it? And I think, I think Rachel, the, the issue is, is that I think for a lot of us, it's easy to, well, you just do it this way. Well, no, no, when they're in their trauma, when they're in their own element, you know, where do you even begin? And we had a, a woman that was given a list of 10 things to do. And she looked at Megan and said, I, what do I do with this? She goes, let's just pick a couple. Let's just start here, you know? And so we utilize those resources within the community to also help with that. You know, Megan has a degree in counseling and all that, but that's not the realm of how far we go. We try to connect them with counseling. We're dealing with a lot of mental health issues and a lot of other um, addiction you know, issues as well, you know, chemical and, and so forth, drug addiction. So uh, just connecting with the community, but being that stronghold right there that can be there with them through that whole time. You said there's great resources in Omaha and Lincoln. Um, what do you use to engage and educate the public about sex, sex trafficking, especially in the rural and suburban areas of Nebraska? Yeah, another great question. You know, as a nonprofit uh, organization, you know, I'm constantly trying to figure out ways to creatively create awareness, okay, and engage people. And when we raise funds, it's not for, it can either be for marketing or outreach. Well, it's usually outreach, you know, now we've been blessed lately. We could do some more things with marketing and awareness. So it's, it's very important to go out and speak and I will go anywhere and speak, you know, and, and that's where you get that one-on-one -on -one connection. And so whether it's a, a church community, your home, a school, um, business, you know, we need to be more aware and not just in the cities, in the rural communities, you know, it's so prevalent there. Um, I could name towns that you just go, what? Yeah. In that little town? Yes. 
And so um, having these events are, are critical, you know, to go out and speak. We also, people can follow us on Facebook, of course, and Instagram. We, if you want to sign up on our website at I've got a name.org, you can get our monthly updates, you know, uh, that are video updates from Pam and Megan being real, what they're, what they're doing today or, or next week or last week. Again, being very confidential, being very sensitive with these issues. But it's so important we get that word out. I mean, even this podcast here, this is wonderful. And it's not just about Nebraska. It's create awareness around our country. You know, it doesn't have to be the big cities. You know, it's everywhere. Um, I, I can share just real quickly. There was a situation in Kansas, a young woman who was solicited from a picture she put of her, uh, like a handmade tattoo on her hand during COVID. And these predators came after her. And uh, I won't share that whole story, but they found out, this is rural Kansas, they found out that there were nine other high school girls these people were targeting. This is modern day slavery. Okay, that's what this is. Kind of talking about how the internet plays a role in all of this, does your organization have any suggestions for women in uh, protecting themselves in the online world? Yeah, that is such a big issue. Oh my gosh. Um, delete, delete the internet? Yeah, I mean, that'd be a great start. Yep. (laughs) You know, yeah, there's some great things about the internet. Yes. And there's also some some things that are very challenging. Um, Gosh, I mean, when I was younger, um, dinosaurs were still around. But I mean, you know, we didn't have these things called cell phones, you know, or really the internet. Mm -hmm. And, And so, you know, people can use that for good and they can use that for bad. And it's used for bad a lot. And I think the biggest challenge we have is, especially parents, trying to understand what this is. You know, that I always use the example, when your child turns 16, you generally don't throw the car keys at them and say, hey, have a great time. Go out and come home whenever you want. Just be safe. Well, that's what we do with these smartphones. You know, that's what we do with these smartphones. And these predators, they, the algorithms, everything, they just will attack you. And because of the word sex and sex trafficking, I get all kinds of strange stuff, you know, coming my way, whether it's on my computer, my phone, my tablet. And so I always just really encourage um, parents and, and our youth especially just to be aware of their phones and what they're doing and uh, their location services. And especially parents have conversations when your kids are young. If you're going to give them that phone and listen, I understand completely understand giving your daughter a phone, you know, for safety, unfortunately. They live in a different world than the boys do, okay? Um, I remember when my daughter got her, her her smartphone. When my son got his, well, he just wanted to look at sports and games and, you know, all that junk. Um, but my daughter, it was for safety. So start early with your kids and have conversations about that and look at their phone. It's not that you don't trust them. You love them, you know? You're not just throwing them the car keys, you know, and make that a common, um, a commonality within your relationship that you're looking at their phone, you're looking at their computer. You know, when a mother in Lincoln sees the bruises on her daughter's body and she's very gifted in athletics and that's what she thinks it's from until she walks by one day and sees her daughter's image on her computer, her boyfriend's selling her. Okay. So there's the reality of it. And so again, technology is wonderful and it's frightening. And uh, roadblocks. We have a, we're working with a 13-year-old now. Since she was 10, she was solicited on roadblocks, a game for kids. You know, so I could tell you story after story after story. Mm-hmm. So be aware, protect your kids. 
one of one of the biggest things that you know we we try to do here at Warner when we're training our drivers or office associates is is provide them with that checklist, like what to look for, how to call for action. So in our community, you know, you talked about your outreach and things like that to provide that awareness, but how does somebody recognize something from a, a stranger at you know a grocery store or things of that nature? You know, we're online that that this is an issue and I need to do something about it. Yeah, that's a great question. And, and one we get asked a lot, you know, what can I do about it? And first of all, I'll, just the word stranger you use there. What is a stranger? Mm-hmm. You know, it's anybody you don't know, especially getting back to our kids. You know, it's not just the guy with that smells and has a dirty beard and his clothes are dirty. You know, it's anybody you don't know. Okay. And, um, you know, so, so you have that aspect of it. But, you know, it is really difficult because you have to be careful. I've been in situations where I've suspected something. And some, some scenes are, are a little more obvious than others. You know, I was at a Big 12 basketball tournament in Kansas City, and I was waiting with my son in the morning after the tournament. And this woman came out of the elevator in this nice hotel, and I think, hmm, I'm wondering, you know, what, you know, what can I do? But she's here. And then about five minutes later, her husband and kids come running out of the elevator, you know, or I'm along the interstate and I see this woman, I go into this gas station and this woman's yelling at somebody in a car and I go in to use the restroom and I come back out and and they've taken off and then they come back and swing back around, you know, so what's going on there? So the most important thing is, is don't be law enforcement. If you think there's a situation, call your local law enforcement. If it's an an emergency, call 911, you know. Um, the United States has the, uh, their, their national number, but in Nebraska, it's 833-757-5665, okay? And so you, you, can, you can use that number to call or just call 911, no, no matter where you're at, rural Nebraska, wherever you're at, and report the issue. Don't try to be law enforcement. Don't try to step into that situation, you know? Um, you may be in a place where, and we come across this, where um, I'll just give you an example. There's this woman who was in this life, and she went into a local drugstore. And the woman across the desk looked at her and said, you look horrible. Are you okay? Well, right next to her is her owner. And now he steps in and says, oh, yeah, that's why we're here. She's not feeling good at all. We need to get her some medicine. Now, what do you do in a situation like that? They're going to walk out the door. Now, if there's some way that you can separate those two and talk with that young woman, you know, give her some information. We have these cards called Megan cards. It has her number on it, you know. She may slip that in her pocket, you know. But you have to be very careful because that owner, if he sees that, can become very abusive afterwards, okay? So it's really a challenge. But if you have a situation, even in your own neighborhood, you're concerned about something, call law enforcement. You know, if it's not an emergency, just call your local law enforcement, have them check it out. It, it's, it's important that we do that. I always say, just think if everyone in the Omaha Metro or Nebraska or in this country knew about this issue more, not an expert, okay? I've been fighting this since 2008. I'm not an expert. But if you're more aware and you could report it, how much more difficult would it be? Let's, let's talk about how big of an issue it is in Nebraska, Paul. So 900 individuals sold every month in the state, often multiple times. Is that right? Yeah. In 2017, Creighton University did some extensive research on a website called Backpage. This is just a piece of the pie, you know, Adam. It's, it's just 
back page. It's a website. And they track by IP addresses and all this technology that I don't understand that at least, at least 900 individuals for sale every 30-day period in Nebraska multiple times. You know, and that's just mind-blowing. And I know an international researcher, when I first met him, when I got involved in this work back in 2008, he said, you know, this research is always underestimated. Always underestimated because it's so difficult. Now, this was a little more concise because it was website communication between buyers and sellers, you know. Um, the governor's task force had a report by uh, Dr. Ron Hampton, and he did that extensive research overseas, but he did it in Nebraska. And one out of every 250 high school girls enter the commercial sex trade in our state based on that survey. I said high school girls, and it's middle school girls. You know, so it, it's real here. And um, the average cost in our state, I believe, is $250 an hour, the average cost. Um, you can get that research uh, from our website under resources, the Creighton University um, research, a very easy read and an eye opener on Nebraska. Yeah. Line. Some of the other stats that really stuck out to me. So, uh, one of every 10 individuals sold for sex in Nebraska, too young to buy alcohol. Average age of a child entering the commercial sex trade is 13 years old. 200 of those 900 are sold in the city of Lincoln every month i would certainly imagine looking at some of the heat maps on your website omaha's number is larger than 200 uh, especially depending upon the event that's going on in omaha it's just heartbreaking it really is and, and i will say this from lincoln's standpoint i mean most and, and again that 200 is from that research on the website most of the women and girls we're working with um have not been sold online you know um, I, I think, let me see, last, in October, our statistics, we had between two individuals, we had six new referrals, 21 active clients, and 80 personal visits, you know, with these, these people we're working with. So we've, we've talked quite a bit about prevention efforts uh, on one side of the coin. Let's talk about the men's movement that I've got a name has how do we prevent the demand? If you prevent the demand, it doesn't become an issue to begin with. What's I've Got a Name doing in that space? Yeah, it's, thank you for asking that. It's really important to address the demand. Um, I need to make it real clear, though, that we know there are more good and great men out there than those that struggle with this, for sure. And so it's a matter of bringing these men together and saying, hey, how can we be an impact on this? How can we change people's mindset? Um, what can we do? And our, our, our men's movement really is at an infant stage, but it's getting, we have a pledge on our website you can take. We're gonna start connecting more with these men. We're getting them just to raise their hand, say, yeah, you know, we need to do something. There's a lot of times I do speaking and a, a father will come up and goes, you know, I've, I've got two daughters. Man, this really ticks me off, you know? And I say, do you have any sons? Oh, I have two sons. Well, you need to talk to your sons too, you know? Um, but addressing the demand side of it. And I also know women and girls purchase too, you know, and sell too. So, um, yeah, it, talking to men, what is it to be an authentic man? You know, um, it, it, listen, we're a very sexualized um, culture in this, in this country, you know, and I can't think of a worse addiction maybe than sex addiction because it's just so in your face, whether it's on TV, on billboards or whatever. So we have a lot of men out there that are struggling with this. And it's so important for them to, to understand that it's courageous and it's strength when you can come to someone that you trust and talk to them about your issues, 
you know, pornography and those things too, that are not victimless, that are not harmless. Um, they're very harmful to you, your relationships and everything. So how do we start that dialogue between men, you know, to stand up and say to their, their best friend, Hey, you need to quit going to that gentleman's club. Let's have a talk about that. Or you need to get offline on the things you're looking at. Um, how can we really help and heal and love each other in that way? And so this men's movement is just that it's, it's, it's a starting of a movement of men to start dialoguing and talking about this because um, we need to, we really need to. What are some of the biggest misconceptions about sex trafficking that you encounter and how does your organization work to dispel those myths? Yeah, that's a great question, Rachel, because it is the, the challenge day in and day out um, that we deal with. And I've already mentioned, you know, that it's just in the big cities, you know, it's not just in Nebraska or it's in the rural communities. That's the big myth. And the ad happens here. And it's not just part of a part of your town that you live in. It's everywhere. Um, I heard the chief of police um, from Milwaukee speak at the University of Wisconsin when I spoke there years ago, and he said, they're not just, these predators aren't just looking for the street smart girls, they're looking for your daughter. You know, so you can live in that house with a white picket fence, okay? And you can, your daughter or son can be, you know, victim to this. So it's really important to understand that, you know, that you don't point fingers at a certain ethnic group. Um, I personally believe this has nothing to do with your ethnic background or your poverty guideline, although poverty can put you in more vulnerable situations, you know. And Lauren Bethel, Bethel an international consultant, once said, it's the exploitation of vulnerability. What makes you vulnerable? And a lot of these women and girls, it's their self-esteem, their self-worth that these predators take advantage of. Um, so that's, that's a big challenge that it, it, no, it just doesn't happen over there. It's here and it could be in my house. You know, it could be my next door neighbor. Um, you just don't know. I can't help but listen to your, your stories and, and kind of, you know, messaging about I've got a name and come back to the awareness material, you know, and, and just being aware, right? Everybody at some point in time, you talked about Bob Burton, you know, how shocked he was to hear that, to hear how much it's happening within our community. I was the same way. Um, what more can we do at Warner Enterprises to do our part? with getting that message out there and really making an impact. Another great question. I really appreciate, you know, uh, my wife and I just moved up to the Omaha area because she works here at Warner and, uh, but um, we're going to be bringing our footprint up here to the Omaha area. And one of the things we do uh, for the last 10 years is a walk for freedom. Um, COVID put a little damper in that back in 20. But our Walk for Freedom has been in Lincoln every year, and it's basically people walking from one place to another. We usually have a speaker, and it's awareness. And I quickly learned, too, um, I met a 15-year-old that after one of our walks, and she said, can I talk to you? I want to help you with your organization. And people are all around me, and I figured it was something sensitive, and I asked her if she could email me. My, my second name is Contact Us on our website. And, of course, these youth, they understand exactly how to get in touch with you. And she went on to send me this email the next day saying that her aunt had sold her. And um, could I please come to the sentencing of her aunt that week in the courthouse, which I did. So this is also healing, this, this event for people. And there are people that are there that you don't need to know they're victims of this, okay, or survivors of this. So that is a big piece. Um, and so we're going to be reaching out into the community. And so, you know, Warner, and especially just in the trucking industry, you know, you're out there all over our country, all over the map, you know, rural cities, everything. It's so important to have this awareness. You've already taken this initiative to talk about it, which is just critical, you know? And so what can you do? What can that next step be? 
you know, just continue to get informed. You know, um, we're all influencers, aren't we? Within our personal lives, within our work lives, any other community we're involved in. So create that awareness. Don't just hold it in yourself and, and research and, and look it up. You know, I've been fighting this since 2008. I still don't understand it. I'm still on a learning curve. And especially as a man, you know, really waking up a lot. And I, you know, it's something that continues to evolve, right? Yeah. The, the folks that are committing these crimes continue to learn from how they're getting caught today and, and evolve that. So um, always something that we need to be, you know, vigilant of and, and aware that, you know, this crime continues to change and how we can continue to make that impact. Yeah, very much so. I, I think a lot of the, um, the, um, you know, they use, the law enforcement used to go to the hotels, sting operations there. A lot of it's now it's cyber, you know, on phones, communicating, um, arrests being made left and right, you know, and justice is served, which is awesome. Yeah. So, Paul, how can uh, the public connect with you? Walk us through where, where you're at. Obviously, a website, uh, assuming social media channels. Yep, yep. I've got a name.org is our, is our website. Um, follow us on Facebook, um, Instagram. We're a small organization. We have one person that does our communications, marketing, all of our graphic design, all of our stuff, even our database. Um, and so her hands are full, but you know, it's important to get connected if you want to find out more about us. And I think one of the things we try to do is we're a very tight knit organization. We're very close to one another. And when you hear Pam and Megan and see what they're going through day in and day out in their heart and soul, it's involved in this. It's just beautiful. And so we try to portray that again, as I mentioned earlier with our street outreach updates, you know, um, Pam just gave one three weeks ago and she was just stating the facts that this is a joyful time for a lot of people, you know, Christmas time, New Year's. This is a time where a lot of these victims are hiding because they're not happy. They're miserable. They can't stand the joy that's out there. They're not a part of it. And so that video was just talking about that reality, you know, and, um, and that's why I tell Pam and Megan, when you do these updates, just be real. You know, Megan spent a whole week in federal court. It was draining on her. It was triggering on her, you know, on her past life. Um, and anyone out there that, you know, wants to find out more information or get involved, you know, Paul and I've got a name.org. That's me. Or like I said earlier, contact us. Or if you want me to come speak at, anywhere, you know, I'd much rather do that than sit at my computer all day, you know, go out and, and meet the public. Cause that's when you see change. That's when you see change. So yeah, our website is the key. And uh, we have our Walk for Freedom coming up. I believe it's in April 12th, I think it is, if that's a Saturday. And then also CHI Health is, uh, we're having a conference in, on the 26th of April at uh, Innovation Campus off of the University of Nebraska campus. It's really exciting. They're bringing that to the forefront with us for awareness. That's awesome. And we, may, we hope to have an incredible keynote speaker, a national one, that they're gonna bring in. So we're busy people. Heck yeah. Well, thank you for the overview, Paul, and the examples and stories that you provided. And now I'd like to invite another story, one from the heart of a survivor. Uh, Liz Williamson joins us now from Truckers Against Trafficking. Liz is a training specialist and survivor leader there. And Truckers Against Trafficking is a nonprofit organization that trains truck drivers to recognize and report instances of human trafficking. Liz is one of the many survivors who have joined Truckers Against Trafficking to share their stories and educate the transportation industry on how to combat this global issue. How are you today, Liz? 
I'm doing great and I'm super inspired by Paul and I'm excited what Warner's doing as a whole. Good. Uh, we had met and have talked a couple of times. Um, I'm fascinated by, by your story, heartbroken by your story. Do you mind sharing a little bit about that to kind of give a little sure. background? Sure can. And as our listeners just process that I have a story, it's not happy. So it's always hard of where do I start with my story? My name is Liz. I'm a survivor of trafficking, but that doesn't really encapsulate who I am. My mom was my first trafficker and I was six years old. And we always want to know what zip code does that happen in because I won't move there. My mom was a nurse. My dad worked in finance. They had good jobs. They went to college. We sat in your church on Sunday. And for all of those reasons, we think that we're safe from never being harmed. But the reality was my mom had trauma history that she never dealt with and she decided to sell me. There's never a good way to explain that because it'll never make sense. But I was sold from six to 23. I am 37 now. I've been out for a little bit. I've been married for three and a half years. Try that. And you know what? There is absolutely no reason in the world I should have been sold. None. None. There, it will never make sense. I want to tell you about the good things that Truckers Against Trafficking does, that the good things that my story does. But it, when I sit here and I think about it and I want to give you a reason I was sold, I'll never come up with one. Yeah, and, and when we talked the first time, I had watched a video on Truckers Against Trafficking's website, and you know, uh, commented on you know how impactful that story was to to me, and I had mentioned that to you, and you said that was me, and yeah. you know, words don't don't go, or there are no words to explain, you know the. Uh, how sorry you know we are that that you went through it, but it, again, it, it is a remarkable story, kind of mm -hmm. the success from everything. Um, and now you're with truckers and trafficking, being able to make a difference for others in the and world. You know what I also think about Brad is that I want to confront the stereotypes, just like Paul was saying that it's it's local people that this is happening to. That sometimes they're never on the internet and they're still being sold. You know, for me, when I think about it, it's not people being smuggled in. It's not people being brought over. It's people that are in our everyday lives who happen to be sold. And that there's two distinct, you know, crimes happening here that, yes, people can be smuggled over. Yes, they can be brought over for the purposes of forced labor, for the purposes of trafficking. But what about our people who are already here? And they're a target and maybe they don't even know it. Now, my story... I admit that my mom made a choice. She did. She actually passed away this year. So I don't know how to reconcile that necessarily, except to say that I'm glad that no one else will be harmed. And I know that sounds like a heavy statement, and it is. But trafficking happens everywhere. It's not one zip code. It's not one place. And that's why the awareness piece to me that Truckers Against Trafficking brings is huge. It's, it's gonna be the person that sees something that says something and it's just gonna feel 
well, that was out of place. I don't know what to make of it. I need to make this report. I think that's why it's huge. Liz, Brad gave us an overview of truckers against trafficking, but would you walk us through what what TAT does? Sure can. So truckers against trafficking exists to bring awareness about sex trafficking and, and labor trafficking in some very specific areas, whether that's trucking, whether that's the energy industry, whether that's the busing industry. Basically, we exist to bring awareness to places that may not have had awareness before, because we really believe that if people knew what they were looking at, that they would want to make a difference. So we're thinking about, can our truck stops make a difference? We're thinking, can our in-home delivery people make a difference? We're thinking our bus stops, you know, when you're sitting and you're waiting for the bus or your bus driver is looking out for you while you're on the bus, can you make a difference? Our energy industry, you know, it's a male influenced industry. How do we make sure that they are being people of integrity who want to help rather than harm. In your story particularly, you know, you had mentioned uh, in the training and awareness video about you wish somebody would have taken a step further into your home. Can you talk a little bit about that aspect of of just getting that confirmation and, and not hesitating to make that call? So if you had walked into my home as a child, And I don't want to make anyone uncomfortable, but we do have to confront the idea of pornography that plays into sex trafficking. It just does in our culture. I mean, no shame. I mean, no blame. We just have to confront the idea of it. In my house, on a TV that was in my kitchen, pornography played all the time. If you walked into someone's kitchen and you saw pornography being loop played, you wouldn't let your child stay there. Not one bit you'd feel uncomfortable. But for me, a sexualized atmosphere was normal. I didn't know it was abnormal. I didn't know that it would make people feel uncomfortable. In my household, it wasn't like everyone else's household. There were cameras, but it was meant to know who's coming and who's going, who hasn't paid yet, who needs to pay. It wasn't meant to keep people safe. It was meant to keep me in, to keep the money in. So it it was definitely different than maybe a normal household would be. More than that, you know what? In your neighborhood, do you notice when people come and go from other people's houses and you think, he just had a birthday, they're having a big celebration. I had cars coming and going to the point where if I notice cars that are coming and going, I ask my neighbors about it. Hey, are you getting work done on your house? How's it going? I take an active interest in my community. But I think that for my story, people just didn't want to know. They didn't want to get involved. And we have to get past that bystander mentality of as long as it doesn't happen to my family. But what if I became friends with your daughter and I unwillingly brought her into this? So we have to make the effort to be aware and to say something. Yeah, that's that's a call to action that you know we we continue to to look for and uh, you know get our, our associates comfortable with making that decision. You know, there's uh, I think Paul had an example of a, a, a female coming down the elevator 
and it triggered his, you know, uh, it threw up a red flag, but then, you know, observing for a little bit, he was able to identify that, that it wasn't the case. But um, what are some of the things that Truckers Against Trafficking does to help get through that, to, to walk through that mental checklist to, you know, empower you to make that call? You know, the first thing I think is training, just like Warner does. I get so excited when I see a Warner truck on the road because I know that you guys are making a difference. So we have over the road, we have local, we have in-home videos. We've got any type of training video that you could possibly think of. And then more than that, you know, how do we start the conversation? And you guys do a fantastic job of just saying, hey, have you thought about the fact that pornography harms people? Have you thought about the fact that human trafficking happens more than we think? If we don't start the conversation, we certainly can't finish it. And then the other thing that I think that um, Truckers Against Trafficking does well as a whole is making regular training available. But then like you guys are doing, we're bringing in the podcast. We're continuing the conversation because just one 30-minute video that we offer, that's not enough. We all know that trafficking continues past a 30-minute video. So keeping it regularly on the minds of your employees. And I think that's fantastic. It's going to be a great way to kick off Human Trafficking Awareness Month. Yes, with hearing a victim story where I have conquered and I have overcome. But more than that, you know, just like she has a name there's still people being sold so i'm not worried about me i am worried about the people that are still out there and you know honestly brad you and i had a great conversation of what do drivers do and you know how can they really be an asset you guys are already doing it you are making sure that we know that every individual who's sold is a human being and that's you know I apologize, but when Paul was talking about even his organization's name, she has a name. Guys, do you know that I was called every name except Liz? And I say that in the most delicate way possible. No one cared what my name was. So to me, what we can do, what we can all do is get really excited about January, but don't just make it about January. Because it's not one month, it's not one day, it's the fact that, okay, who's really great at math? Six to 23, that's 17 years. 17 years of my life. I've been out for 13, coming up on 14, I've got a tattoo on my arm. It's actually the end of this month. I'll celebrate running away without shoes on, and I didn't have a plan For every person who chooses to run away without a plan, may they find a Warner and may they find a Paul. Because I think that your drivers are looking for, great, I'll do it. I believe her. So we start with support your local organizations. I lived at a homeless shelter for a year and a half. Wasn't the worst place for me, but hey, homeless shelters need underwear. They need food. They need resources. So... How do we, as just a culture and a community, just start caring? We can do it. But I think it makes this uncomfortable conversation worth it. My story never should have happened. We all agree with that. But how do we just make sure that you guys are inviting me to a podcast, that you guys are making sure that you always have the right tat video 
Do you have the wallet cards? Do you have the latest and greatest things? Because we send them out for free. So I think what I'd love to say is that you guys are already doing the hard work, but we just have to continue the momentum past January. Well, we appreciate that. We talked a lot about the training, you know, material that that Truckers Against Trafficking provides. What other outreach projects does Truckers Against Trafficking do? So the first thing I want to say is that all of us have our cell phone on us. Download the TAT app on Android or Apple. Make sure that it's not just a company thing. It's a personal thing. That's always huge because I always have my phone on me. But then that way, if you see something on our app, you're able to report different tips. You're able to call different hotlines. That can be helpful if people don't have either the Nebraska hotline or another hotline for a different state or even the national hotline. Those are all good resources to just program into your phone automatically. So if you're in the middle of a situation, you already have it. Um, but I'd also love to point out that we've created community resources for parents, for the general public, how to talk to your kids about porn, how to have these uncomfortable conversations. What is grooming? How do I keep my kids safe? What do we do? Um, and then I also want to say, because we have so many drivers here, if you help a victim tell Warner about it so they can tell us because we have an award called the Harriet Tubman Award that we give out once a year. And it's really about a driver who's made an impact, who somehow led to a recovery situation. We have won our um, most recent award. A driver was in the middle of nowhere, Montana, maybe Idaho, possibly very remote. They literally had to call into dispatch because there was no cell service because they saw a girl in a towel. If you saw a girl in a towel in the middle of a snowstorm, of course you would call and you would want to make a difference. Well, this driver did. Thankfully, it did make a difference. But to me, my story, when I ran away without shoes on in the middle of the night, Guys, no one stopped. All I'm asking for is a 911 call. All I'm asking for is to call the next right person because not all of us are equipped or need to get in the middle of a situation. But that driver did the right thing. He called and he said, this young lady needs help. And so dispatch was able to get local police who was able to help her. It was a trafficking situation. We don't have to be in the middle of the crisis to make a difference for the crisis. So, Liz, I am curious um, what special vantage you feel that our truck drivers have, especially being out over the road and being a part of the interstate system, which I think a lot of people are aware is a big access point for trafficking as well. What special vantage do you feel that they have to help? Uh, First of all, I think it's the fact that you're out there. I think it's you're out there and you're driving maybe at 2 a.m. when I'm home sleeping that you're and also I'd like to say the drivers are equipped to be far more aware and capable than the average driver I know that when I'm driving I get distracted I think that honestly professional drivers (laughs) if you could teach me how to back up a car very very well I would like to learn so that's to all of the Warner drivers if anyone (laughs) like to teach Liz how to do that can you tell us a little bit about the Freedom Drivers Project that Truckers Against Trafficking has? 
Sure can. We actually just recently came from Nebraska and we had a really great reception. We went uh, to a rotary event and we had local youth that came and even some local youth that shared that they had been exploited and that it was making a big difference. It is a walkthrough mobile exhibit. So think about a truck trailer that we outfitted to become a museum. It's a 53-foot trailer. It has artifacts from survivors. It tells a story in a way that if you can't get me on a stage, artifacts are the next best thing because it starts to confront you with the reality that it's real. And so we come anywhere that invites us. Um, Our schedule does occasionally get fairly full. We go all over the U.S. and all over Canada. And this Freedom Drivers Project is really meant to be the conversation piece. We give talking points. We give what's next. Now that you've seen this, what are you going to do? We talk about local organizations that they can get involved with. We talk about, okay, this is who brought us here and this is how you can help them. The Freedom Drivers Project to me makes an uncomfortable conversation manageable. I love it. It's, It's one of my favorite things that TAT does. I have been in snowstorms with the FDP. I have been all over the U.S. and Canada. But what gets me excited is when it clicks for someone where suddenly trafficking is real. I think that it's, it is one of the most gentle ways to make a huge impact. Liz, could you share some success stories or impactful moments that have come from the Freedom Drivers Pro- Project? I definitely can. So I think that I just mentioned it, but being in Nebraska and seeing those youth come through because the Rotary Club invited them, your youth already see trafficking. The Freedom Drivers Project is giving them the language around it. We're having events called um, Youth on Transportation, and we're going into certain cities around the U.S. and starting this conversation piece of with the youth of what do you want to see? How can we explain trafficking to you? And the biggest thing that they have said is, don't make it scary. Tell me how I can talk to my parents about this. Tell me how I can get a help from my adults in my life. So the youth are aware of it. They just want to know, how do they not scare us as adults? Oh, it's tremendous. But I am excited to say that, um, The Freedom Drivers Project, I will next see it in January and our schedule starts all over. If you would like to go to um, truckersagainsttrafficking.org and click on our Freedom Drivers Project, we have a schedule all over. If we're not coming to your area and we can manage it, uh, click contact us. We would be happy to. And then we also have a virtual tour for those of you who are are interested. Um, I also have it in Spanish and in French Canadian um, for those who need it. But it's just a virtual walkthrough tour to give you a little example of what it's like. I know that it can't quite be for what it's in person, um, but it might be something interesting for people to see. Well, that's great. Obviously, talking about the driver's side of the industry, there's also the shipper side of the industry. So could you tell us a little bit about the role of the Shipping Partners Program? Absolutely. So our Shipping Partners Program really is activating the supply chain industry that we already know exists. So it's putting a little bit of leverage and a little bit of pressure on the idea 
that, okay, if you're shipping for my company, here's what I expect from you. I want you to be a company of integrity. I want you to care about these social justice issues. I want you to make a difference. And so we have a step-by-step program that can be found on our website for the Shipping Partners Program. My goodness, are we activated pretty much everywhere. And some of the bigger supply chain um, companies, you know, even Amazon, but we were just starting to have conversation about you know, Uber, uh, and I know that Uber's already a partner of ours, but how do we make sure that Instacart, how do we make sure that the people who are coming to our houses, how do I make sure right now that Home Depot, who is doing my kitchen as we speak, you know, how do I make sure that they know that I care about human trafficking and that they are well taken care of and that they're safe and they're respected? It brings up great conversation points for pretty much any area of the industry. Talk to us about your collaborations that TAD has with, you know, law enforcement agencies, state law enforcement agencies, local law enforcement. You know, our collaboration with law enforcement really starts and begins with the reality that law enforcement does the hard work. We can create awareness all day long, but they're the ones that go in and they're the ones that make the difference. They're the ones that can put the bad guy away. They're the ones that can make the lasting change. So some of our law enforcement efforts look like doing, you know, training. We go and we train law enforcement of, hey, here's some considerations about sex trafficking you might not have thought about, that it looks like domestic violence. And they're like, oh, really? What? And then we're saying, okay, 20 years ago, you thought it was someone else's fault if they weren't leaving the domestic violence situation. Have you thought about the fact that sex trafficking is much of the same vein? When it comes to law enforcement, we have training touches that we put out just about every three months, but we're actually launching online modules for online training opportunities um, where they've actually recorded me, other survivors, other law enforcement professionals for the best practices, for what do you really do when a victim is staring at you? What do you really do with the undercover operations? What do you really do best practice wise for how to make a lasting impact? So I'm super excited. That information will be out in the new year and please just keep an eye on our website for that. Can you tell us about some initiatives that Truckers Against Trafficking is currently working on to ensure that every professional driver that is out there um, is trained and aware of how they can be a big impact on human trafficking? You know, when it comes to making a big impact for the issue of human trafficking, it starts on the federal level to me. It starts with being brought to the table for anti-human trafficking initiatives as we have, and Werner's a part of that, um, you know, anti-trafficking initiative. That's huge, but then it filters down. It's making sure that there's the anti-trafficking in person or TIP policy, where every company should have a policy in place that would make a difference that says no employee can spend company time or resources purchasing another human being. And you'd think, well, of course they shouldn't. But if you don't spell it out, you know, it, this is just a great way to just be on the cutting edge. Warner's a huge part of that. And it just 
implements a culture that respects, implements a culture that makes a difference. And then, you know, we go from the federal level to the state level where we're involved in policymaking, where we're saying, hey, have you thought about for your commercial drivers that you're making sure that they should watch a 30 minute video on human trafficking, that this should have refresher courses, that when they go for, you know, their license again, shouldn't we send a wallet card? Shouldn't we send information about human trafficking? Shouldn't we just do these things because it could make a difference. Liz, I'd like to ask you, I'm a, I'm a mom of two teenage boys and as we talk through this whole podcast, I've been made more aware of how young it starts. And it doesn't just impact girls and women, but it can impact boys as well. How do I engage my sons to A, become advocates for, against human trafficking? And what are some tips to have those conversations with them? So some of those tips and tricks and resources, I'm definitely going to actually send your team after this podcast so you can link it um, just because I, I think that our parenting resources are different things we've come up with will be helpful. But I do always want to point out and Paul mentioned it, you know, boys are trafficked too. They're victims too. Sexual abuse happens and you usually know the person. So we always have to teach our boys just as much as our girls, their bodies are sacred and that no one deserves to touch them that way. So I start with that. Past that, you're already doing it. You are teaching your boys to be respectful, to be kind, to be genuine, to be protectors. I know you're already doing it because if you weren't doing it, you wouldn't ask these questions. But starting that goes to our porn culture. It goes to, hey, I know this is everywhere, but I just want you to know as a family, this is what we would prefer. This is what we would expect. You know, when it goes to rape culture and rape culture jokes, unfortunately, it's countercultural at this point for what we're asking people to do. We have to culture shift. You know, we have gone through quite a movement in our society where we're talking about how sexual abuse has been rampant, that you know women have been maligned or not believed. So we start with our boys and we say, believe someone, stand up for them. I know you're already doing it. I, I will never come from a place of shame because the reality is, the, to me, men aren't the problem. They're not. Our sexual culture, that, that can be problematic. But I'm married. My husband loves me. I've got great men in my neighborhood who come by, they give me a hug, they check on my household. They were doing that, you know, as we were filming today. Hey, there's somebody outside your house. You good? Oh, it's a construction crew. I'm okay. Okay, do you, wanna, do you want me to come and wait inside until your husband gets home? They care. And for someone who grew up believing that I was invisible and that no one cared, that's what it takes. Is that people will always go the extra step. Even if you can't change anything, you can't change my story and that's okay. 
But what we can do is make sure that for the next person that we believe them to begin with, that we love them, that we help them through these things, that we support people like Paul and she has a name, that Werner is already doing exactly what we would ask them to do, to make sure that no victim ever feels invisible again. You know, I just, um, Liz, I just want to thank you for sharing um, your story um, and the courage and, and the strength you have, but also the determination that you have for others. And um, I, I met a woman years ago and, and she said to me, um, I was reflecting on her past and she said to me, she goes, that's not who I am, that's who I was. And um, I think what's awesome about what you do with, you know, Tat is that I learned this this year over and over again, without the voice of a survivor, what can we really do? And it's not a matter of exploiting survivors using their stories, but it's using your voice because of your past. And that's what Megan does with us. And I just commend you on that because, um, and care for yourself because there are things I'm sure you get triggered by and, um, you're the heart and soul of this mission with Tat, you know, and that's, that's awesome. And I just, I sincerely just want to thank you. And I look forward to visiting with you too in the future. Oh, absolutely. And you know what, guys, you're right. I am the heart and soul of what Tat looks to do. And that's to make sure a victim feels believed that a victim is given the opportunity to be helped into a greater future than their past. So to that, I look forward to how do we help the next person? In speaking about how do we help the next person, and maybe Paul and Liz, we could get some insight from the both of you. Um, but we've talked a lot about, you know, ways that we can help prevent in speaking with our children and speaking with the general public. What are some things that maybe a family member starts noticing something seems off. What, are, what would be maybe some best suggestions that you may have to give that family member or friend that's concerned that someone they love may be in this situation? Yeah. Liz, I'll go first. <laughs> I'm sitting right across from her. So. <laughs> you know, I, I think um, it's a great question because even our youth today, when they see maybe change of behavior of a, a classmate, they don't even have to be their best friend, you know, um, but they do come alongside them and they do show that support. That's why, you know, we have this big thing in our society right now, be kind. Well, what's that mean? That means care about others, you know, more than yourself. And anytime my kids went to school, I always said, you know, when you see that student over there that's sitting by themselves or in that corner standing by themselves, Try to make it a point to go over and talk with them. And so when you see someone, their behavior's changing, they feel more isolated. They're not as maybe uh, happy as they used to be. There could be a lot of things going on, but it, it could be this. And regardless if it is or it isn't being sexually exploited, they need someone, you know? And I think it's just coming alongside. And I think, Liz, you just keep touching on that, touching on that, you know, that, that you just need to be there and, and be present and have those conversations and it's okay to ask, are you okay? And they may say, I'm fine. And then you ask again some other time, are you okay? You know, I just, I, I, I'm concerned about you. This can be between just you and I, you know, it doesn't have to go anywhere else. And then they can start to open up. Um, it's just loving one another. Pretty simple. 
And I think we can't be afraid to teach our young people words and language around human trafficking. I had a high school best friend whose parents were like unofficial foster parents to me. They were in the foster care system and I spent a lot of time over there. But I did not have the words to say, when I go to my mom's house, this is what's happening to me. I didn't have the language for it. So arming ourselves with, I love the Delgados to this day. Mom and dad Delgado, you know, I, I talked with them the other night and they say, how are you doing, Liz? If I had only known, if I had known how to help you in this way. So they knew that my mom was a bad person. They did. They knew that they didn't trust her. They, they knew that. They didn't know what else they could do. But what I'm saying is they did the right thing. They loved me to the place where now as an adult, I can say, thank you for loving me. They couldn't change everything. Maybe we didn't have the resources. Maybe we didn't have the structure then. But I think that if they had had the parenting resources, if you guys want to look up endingthegame.com, um, I teach all their online classes. It's another great one. They have some parenting resources and some at-risk youth resources to hopefully make sure that you don't get trafficked to begin with. But if they do, here's some other things. But I will say that parents of my high school best friend made a tremendous difference just because they loved me, just because they gave me dinner, just because they were there. Don't ever underestimate the power of just being there. And speaking on some of those resources, I know you've touched a lot on the different things that TAT has for initiatives and online options. What are some ways that TAT has evolved over time to kind of encapsulate the internet and the constantly changing society? You know, we are coming up on a pretty big birthday. We have been around since 2009. So if we think about just how our society has changed from 2009 to almost 2024, tremendous. We started out where we were gathered around someone's kitchen table thinking, if I just get the word out, it could make a difference. And it does. But now we've gone from if I get a truck driver, a wallet card, how do we think bigger? How do we change society in that way? Um, I would definitely encourage everyone to go to truckersagainsttrafficking.org, click on get involved, the general public, we have the different links. But I would always come back to the reality that all of our materials are free because of sponsors like Werner. Because we don't ever want someone to have the excuse for, I can't get involved or I can't have these resources because I, I can't afford them. We want to make sure that if someone wants these resources, that they have them. Paul, Liz, we appreciate the time today. Uh, this was no small chunk of time. Uh, we appreciate your willingness to tell your stories uh, and to speak about both of your organizations. So for the listener, uh, we've covered a lot of additional resources that are available. Uh, Paul mentioned a few. Uh, I've got a name.org. Uh, and then also there is the Truckers Against Trafficking app. Uh, but really the call to action there is if you see something, uh, call 911. Don't hesitate to call 911. Uh, 
if there is something that's not necessarily 911 material, uh, the National Human Trafficking Hotline uh, is 888-373-7888. You can also find, for those Warner drivers that are listening, more information uh, in the Drive Warner Pro app.